Uh, I want to tell you a story, and I will keep it uh, as tight as I can so as to, uh, to not reveal source, but last week after the service, I met with a young man who shared his heart with me. He's leaving uh, for the military, uh, going to boot camp at the end of the month. Shared his heart of how God has just radically, really come in and done a miracle in his life. And as we sat there and talked, he, he talked about that desire to want to be a part of what God was doing here, and also to use whatever he had uh, in terms of life experience and God experience for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And, he, and as he was leaving, he reached in his pocket, and uh, he handed me this, six dollars. And he said, you know, I've pretty well paid my bills. I'm leaving for boot camp. This is all I have, but I want to go to the building fund. And I want to say, to me, this is one of the most significant gifts we've ever received. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes we get it in our mind that the significant gifts are the ones that are the large, have the most number of zeros behind them. So one that has the biggest heart behind it. And whether you can give a dollar or whether you can give a million dollars. God looks on the heart. What God is doing is he's doing in us in a way that he gets the credit for, not us. And we always want to position ourselves in such a way that when the winds of God begin to blow in our life, when we begin to see that he's moving in a certain direction, we want to set our sails to receive the wind of the Spirit of God. And allow God to do that which only God can do. Because we know what we can do. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's not much. But when I see what God can do, and when he opens up the windows of heaven, he pours out, he says, a blessing beyond which that any of us could receive. And so like a, a friend of mine used to say, you got to get under the spout when the water comes out. So you want to get in the right place when God begins to flow and pour out, and so you receive all that God has for you. Can't begin to tell you the power of prayer and what it means. A number of months ago, we showed you a couple of videos that Mark Batterson uh, produced for us, the author of The Circle Maker, and uh, we held one back, and I want to show it to you right now. It's about a two-minute video on prayer. And it sets up this message perfectly right where we are in the book of Exodus. So let's watch the screen for about two minutes and then we'll comment on it. Well, a few months ago, the Lord convicted me that every prayer I was praying had an ASAP attached to it. It really didn't matter what I was praying for. God, I want you to do it as soon as possible. And I'll tell you why, because I'm not very patient. You know, I think there's something about human nature that we want God to do what God's going to do yesterday. And that's because we're so focused on just accomplishing whatever it is that we want to do. But you know what? God's more concerned with who we're becoming in the process. And sometimes things take a little bit longer because God wants to do a little bit bigger miracle. And so I felt like the Lord gave me a new acronym, ALAT, as long as it takes. You know what? I know that many of you have read The Circle Maker. You know the legend of Honey the Circle Maker. Now, when he got into that circle and said, Sovereign Lord, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy upon your children, I think he meant it. Listen, I think he was willing to die in that circle. I think 
Praying through is about getting into that prayer circle and say, God, I'm not coming out. And listen, it's not saying I'm not coming out until I get what I want. It's about saying, God, what do you want? What, what is your will? What's your plan? And then getting into that prayer circle and saying, God, I'm not going to come out until I hear from you. Listen, my prayer for our generation is that we would rediscover uh, this phrase, praying through. It's one thing to pray for something, but praying through, it is grabbing hold of the horns of the altar, not letting go. It's saying, God, I'm going to press in. I'm going to pray through until I hear from you. That doesn't mean that we always get what we want. What we want might not be what God wants, but there's something about just saying, God, I'm going to persist in prayer, almost like that persistent widow And uh, I believe that God honors it. God honors it when we pray through because it demonstrates that our faith and our trust is in one place, and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he made reference to the horns of the altar. And you may not know what that means, but if in Scripture we understand this brazen altar that we're going to be speaking about today had four horns on each of the corners of this altar. And we'll talk more about what that means in just a moment, but I want to take you to that reference of cling on to the horns of the altar. There was a guy by the name of Adonijah, and he's found in the book of 1 Kings in chapter 1. And Adonijah feared for his life because he found himself on the wrong side of the king. And in his fear, and in his desperation, and even in his faith, he ran to the temple He laid hold of the horns of the altar, and he refused to move unless he was granted his prayer, forgiveness, and grace. So when he caught hold of the altar, he was catching the strength and the power of the altar before God. By clinging to the horns of the altar, he had found safety and he found mercy. So we are to cling to the cross. We are to catch, if you will, the strength and the power and the authority that comes from the cross upon which Jesus Christ died. Listen to what it says in Scripture about the strength that we have. It's in the resurrection. Paul wrote these words, that I might know him, that is Christ, and the power of the resurrection. You see, God wants us to live not in our own power, but in the power of of the resurrected Lord, because it's Christ living his life in you and through you, so the explanation of your life is not you, but him. It also tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, these words, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So the world looks at the cross and says, well, that seems like a strange way for God to behave, to put his own son on a cross to die for my sins, and they call that foolishness. But Paul goes on to write in that book of 1 Corinthians, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. So you see, he reminds us that the cross is salvation. Salvation is not found in the church. Salvation is not found in your good deeds. Salvation is not found in some ritual that you do. It's found simply in my faith in the resurrected, crucified Jesus Christ who's coming again. That's where it's supposed to be. 
So we understand something about this clinging to the altar. We're going to know more in just a moment. But let me give you a wilderness report. Here's the first thing I want you to know. You can be in the middle of a miracle and repeat it with me, would you? And not know it. And really, sometimes you say, well, how come everybody else is in a miracle, but I'm not? Well, you may be. You see, miracles don't come wrapped in the same kind of packaging every time. Sometimes they come wrapped in really ugly paper called discouragement. Can you relate to that? Sometimes miracles come wrapped in in setbacks and difficulties and problems, and you wonder, will God ever make a way through this mess I find myself in? But I promise you this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and God will come through. You see, God is more concerned about the process of transforming you into Christ's likeness than he has of instantly giving you that which you ask for or desire. Because who we are is far more important than what he does to somehow make our life easier. Here's a second thought. Sacrifice is necessary for anything significant. I remember when I was in college and I was climbing a, uh, one of those 14,000-foot peaks uh, in Colorado, and I'd gotten pretty close to the summit, and I was done. I didn't care anymore. I didn't care if I got to the top. I didn't want to go to the top. I wanted to go home. And there was a guy coming down, and uh, he said, what are you doing? And I was sitting down. I said, I'm thinking I'm heading back. He said, go to the top. I know you're tired, and I know you're weary, but it's the best place to be. It's going to take some sacrifice on your part. And I really didn't want to give it, but he humiliated me into going. Have you ever had anybody just kind of draw the line and say, you know what, are you going to do it or not? Are you going to be a man or what? And I'm sitting there thinking, and he stood there and waited for me to head up the hill. Well, there was no way I was walking down with him and him talking to my ear the whole way. And I went all the way to the top, and I looked around, and I couldn't see much more than I saw before. (laughs) But I did it. I did it. And I think sometimes what we have to realize is that we need to take the sacrifice and see what God is going to do. It may be just a little bit of a sacrifice of your time to read the Word of God, but I promise you the blessings are going to come back a hundredfold. It may feel like a sacrifice to pray or to fast or to serve, but I promise you the blessings are going to come back because it's a law of the kingdom of God. It's how it works. What you sow, you also shall reap. If you sow doubt and discouragement, guess what you're going to reap? You're going to reap doubt and discouragement. If you sow faith and love and power, guess what? You're going to reap that back in your life. Here's the third wilderness report. The wilderness releases the possibility of divine influence. Do you realize when you get in the wilderness and you don't know your way around, you're trying to navigate through what God is saying You ever been kind of listening to God and you go, God, I think that's what you said, but I'm not sure. That's wilderness. That's where the faith really starts to to grab hold of things. Is when you're in the wilderness, you don't know where to go. God, where do I go with this? And is that you or is that me or is that my neighbor? Who is that talking to me right now? And God says, I will always speak with a still, small voice. Just trust me in this. It's in the wilderness 
that you're going to find the divine influence begin to come in your life, work in your life, and through your life in an amazing way. Now let me take you to the text for today. It's just a couple of verses in the book of Exodus chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, the height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns and its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. And you're living in 2012 and saying, so what? I mean, seriously. I mean, who would choose this for their text except me? But God put it in there for a reason, didn't he? God has something to say to us through this, and I want you to see something. This bronze altar was the place of sacrifice. The place of sacrifice. You know, it is the equivalent to the cross in the New Testament. Everything that was going to be sacrificed before God was going to be sacrificed there. Every reminder of the sin of man and the forgiveness and mercy of God was found there. Every reminder of the forgiveness of sin, the grace and the mercy of God is found at the cross. This was, to the Old Testament believer, the cross of the New Testament. You see, and what he wanted us to understand was this. Everything that God does, he has a purpose for it. You may not see it. You may not understand it. Sometimes you have to look back and go, now I get it, God. But one of the things that God wants for all of us is greater and a deeper understanding of his love. Somehow, if we can take our circumstances, step back for a moment and say, somehow, woven in this problem is your hand of love. Show that to me, God. Reveal that to me. Let me see not the pain, not the difficulty. Let me see what you're doing right here in this situation. Because the heart of God is redemption. God is a redemptive God. That means he wants to buy us back. That means he wants to rescue us from our problems, from our sins, even from our discouragements and our defeats. You see, Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He also died for your discouragements. He came to give you hope. He talks about have you, this joy in you that is in me. In other words, enjoy the joy of God. Now that altar was square. You'll notice by its design, it was five cubits by five cubits. That's roughly 18 inches each, so you can kind of figure out the math on that one. But he was reminding us with that altar, it was the biggest piece of furniture in the temple. He was reminding us the biggest problem we have to deal with is sin. Now let me ask you a question here. Anybody ever sinned? Just raise your hand if you've sinned at least once in your life. All right? Too many to count, probably, right? I'm always amazed when I talk to people and they say, uh, I'll say, well, you know, the Bible says that uh, we're sinners. And the guy, somebody will say, oh, I'm not a sinner. Really? Well, how's that possible? Well, I've just never done anything. And they have a whole different definition of sin. And I will say, well, did you ever lie? Oh, yeah, I've done that. Okay. Do you ever steal? No, I've never stolen. Ever stole a nickel from your mom's purse when you were a little kid? No, I stole a dollar or two, but never a nickel. <laughs> kind of a high-level thief, a, a preschooler. But, but you know, we, we have to understand that, that God is, has this redemptive purpose. He wants to remind us of this, that all sides were equal, reminding us that sin separates man from every one of the four corners of this earth. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all of us need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
On each corner was a horn, horning in all four directions of the earth. It's a reminder of what sin is. Let me tell you a couple of things that sin is. Sin is, first of all, trying to live your life without God. That is sin. Saying, well, I think I'm doing pretty good without God. Well, how long will that work for you? And if God was a creator and sustainer of the universe, why wouldn't it be critically important for you to live your life with God? Also, sin is breaking God's law. Whatever God has said, that's sin. Sin is misdirected passion. Now we're going to get a little bit closer to home. You ever misdirected your passion, loved the wrong, wrong things, loved the wrong one? You ever allowed something to overcome you emotionally instead of God overcoming you emotionally and spiritually? The Bible says that's sin. Now, I know it's not that common to preach on sin anymore because I suppose it just kind of went away about 10 years ago and God forgot about it. But you know, the Bible is true. And people say, well, that's in the Bible. We are, I want to remind you, living in biblical days. The Bible is as applicable today as it ever was in the history of man. Sin is living for self. You ever live for self? You can tell if you're living for self how easily you get offended. You ever been offended? Well, I can't believe she said that to me. I can't believe he said that to me. Why not? You probably deserved it. You just don't like it. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you always walk away going, well, they had something there, but I wasn't going to tell them that because I don't want to encourage them. They might tell me more about me. Psalm 118 says this in verse 27. God is the Lord. And he has given us light. Now notice here, here is a reference to the altar. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar, to the horns of the altar. You know what he's telling us here? What they would do is they would bring the sacrifice and they would literally bind it to those horns on the altar. You know why? Because if it would slide off, the sacrifice would not be acceptable. Let me show you how that translates in our day. You ever gone to God and say, God, you know, I know I'm doing this and this is wrong and I want to offer this to you, and then you turn around the next day and do exactly the same thing all over again? That's why you need to bind it to the altar. You see, because sometimes we'll go up and say, hey, God, I'm going to offer this to you, and then while we think God's not looking, we run back and sneak it off the altar. I don't really want to give it up. How many of you have a pet, dog or cat or something like that? Just raise your hand. Got a pet. What is a pet good for? I mean, think about what we name them. Pet. This is it. Love, friendship. They're great, right? But primarily, they're a digestive apparatus. <laughs> we feed one in, and we suffer the consequences on the other. And that's really what they are. But they're pet. You ever had a pet sin? You just feed it, suffer the consequences. Feed it, suffer the consequences. Oh, nice sin, nice sin. I love this sin. This is such a good sin. I'll wash it every once in a while, clean it up, make it look better, put a bow on it, put a collar around its neck, but it's still a digestive apparatus. Sin is like that. I take it in and I suffer the consequences of my actions. God wants us to live above that. In this scripture, God is the Lord. The first thing he reminds us is of revelation, that God reveals who he is to us by his spirit. It is also enlightenment. It says he has given us light. That is, the clarity to be able to see things and then sacrifice. 
telling us and reminding us of the, the importance of sacrifice. Look at this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but like from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. How did God save you? By, his, by the blood of the lamb of God. You know, sometimes the cross becomes so common to us we forget its pain. I think that's why that movie, The Passion of the Christ, brought it back to us. We remember we were brought fresh back emotionally to the to really, really cost Jesus to die on a cross. Let me show you something of the plan of God. God redeems us because he has a plan for your life. You see, he wants to overthrow the work of the enemy who came to kill and to lie and to destroy. You know what Satan does? He systematically seeks to occupy the areas of your life that point to the heritage you have as a child of God. If he can take away from you your value as a child of God, he's won a battle whether you commit any horrible sin or not. You see, God's plan is to release his anointing on you so that you can flourish in every area of your life. Whatever you do, God wants you to flourish in. God wants you to do well in. And God's invitation is to join him in his kingdom work. And while you're doing your work, your passion, what you're gifted to do, it can be a part of God's great kingdom work. That's what I love so much about the way that we influence and the way we move and, and kind of work our way through life. Wherever we are, we can influence people for the kingdom of God. And what God does when we're faithful, he grants more and more legal access to those of us who prove faithful in our character and in our personal competence. It's what God does. When, when you're faithful in what you do, guess what God does? God will open up more opportunities for you. I love the scripture. It says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. We've heard that a lot, haven't we? But listen to the next part that he might exalt you in due season. You see, God wants to lift you up somehow, but we have to walk in humility before God, acknowledging God for who God is. And God shapes your personal history in order to prepare you for your unique assignment. You think all that history and all the things God's been doing in your life is just an accident? No, God is preparing you for something, eventually for an eternal weight of glory. But you see, there is a great destiny attached to a great assignment. And when you, when you start to understand this principle, you see, I believe we're living in a time and in a season of spiritual acceleration for those who will grab hold of what God is doing. Not that we're living, you say, well, the world is getting worse and worse and worse. That just makes the true light of God shine brighter. That just means we have more opportunity to stand out and make an impact in our world. If everybody looks, feels, and sounds like a Christian, you don't know who's a Christian. And people will always say to me, well, you know, I can't believe what they're doing and what the world's doing, what lost people do. Well, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Lost people are supposed to do lost things. All right? Lost people are supposed to be experts at sin. Saved people are not. Huh? Amen? You're not sure about that one. You say, I've been fine-tuning this sin all my life. I don't know about that. 
But you see, what happens is when we begin to get in this spiritual fast lane with God, what happens is God begins to, to show his favor and give us his favor on a whole new level altogether. Last week we said miracles follow miracles, and they do. When you begin to see God work, just get in that path and stay there until God tells you to get out of that lane and get into another one. We're witnessing firsthand an acceleration of God's favor here, I believe. This week I had three different meetings, uh, and all of them just were blessed by God. I went into one of them, and I thought, you know, nobody's going to like this. It's going to be horrible, and everybody's just, and I just sat back and bit quiet, and everybody goes, this is wonderful, this is great, I can't believe what God's doing, and I'm going, really? Wow. And I, what little bit of skepticism I had, it just kind of went up into optimism. I'm going, wow, God, you're doing some great stuff. I had a vision two days ago. I don't have many visions. And I had this vision, and it was one of those ones where we were in our new building, and this is the part of it I wasn't sure I liked about the vision, and we were having five services every Sunday. And people were, and in this vision, people were coming from every direction. They were parking in every place you could. And, uh, and, and at one moment, I, I thought people were trying to rush in to, to get a parking place, and I thought a fight might break out for a parking lot. And this week, I want to tell you that we had not one, but two different people that are in that area who've told us that we can use their parking lots on Sunday at no cost. Now, I don't know about you, but, but that to me is really good news. So God's favor comes and says, you don't have to worry about parking. I'm going to give you one free. You don't have to pave it. You don't have to stripe it. You don't have to maintain it. Here you go. Thank you very much, God. See, little miracles come along and you say, God, I just love this kind of stuff. And I love it when people say, well, that's a coincidence. And I say, well, then let's call it a coincidence and may God, will you give us more coincidences? Whatever you want to call it, let's call it that. You see, there's an expansion that God wants to do. I, I, I learned uh, just this past week, someone contacted us and said, uh, hey, I don't know if you know this, but there's a number of us who are gathering together around uh, our TV on Sunday morning, and we're doing church, we're doing Influence Church up in Big Bear. And they wanted to know, could we start a Big Bear branch of Influence Church? I think we just did. Amen. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, listen to what it says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. As you yourselves know him being delivered by the, now watch this, the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Why did Jesus die? Because God determined it and God purposed it. It was no accident. He was having taken by lawless hands, having crucified, put him to death, whom God raised up, loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by its power. Now, here's an interesting thing. Both sinful man and God were in agreement. That doesn't happen very often. They were in agreement. Christ had to die. Christ had to die. Sinful man wanted to silence him. Holy God wanted to sacrifice him. Sinful man rejected him. Holy God 
resurrected him. Sinful man hated him, but holy God honored him. Amen? For you, for you, for your sins, he honored you through Christ, gave you the gift of eternal salvation. I want to show you the picture in heaven. It starts with a guy named John who comes along. He sees Jesus walking in John 1.29, and it says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why, it was a little lamb that was put on that brazen altar that was sacrificed for the sins of man in the Old Testament. Jesus was seen by John and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He's not just taking away the sins of the, of the people that live there in the camp of Israel. He's there to die for all mankind, for those who sin a little bit and those who are really good at it. When people tell me, well, a guy could never save me, I've just sinned too much. Oh, you have no idea. I've met people far better at sinning than you. I used to think I could not be shocked anymore. I'd heard everything. And then someone would tell me their story, and I'd go, I'm shocked. I'm just amazed what we can do with sin. But I'm also amazed what God can do with righteousness in your life and how so many of you have been transformed and, and just living powerfully and gloriously for God. And I just want to thank you for being sensitive to the Spirit and allowing God to work in your life. What a great place. I love to hear the testimonies of God. You see, Jesus was the Lamb, He is the Lamb, and He will always be the lamb look at revelation chapter 5 and verse 6 and listen to what john wrote i looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb so john has got this perspective from heaven he's looking down on earth from heaven and as he looks around in heaven he looks over and he sees that which he describes as a lamb standing as though it had been killed or slain. Having, it says here, seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now this is the book of Revelation. You say, what is going on here? What is this with the seven horns and seven eyes? Well, horns were a symbol of power. Remember the four horns of the altar? So he's saying he's, seven is a number of completion. He's all-powerful. Seven eyes, he's all seeing. There's nothing he doesn't see in your life. But then it says this, the seven spirits of God sent out. Well, that's a direct reference to Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. Let me just read it to you. It says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Those are the seven spirits. Let me go back through. What's going to be on Jesus. It says the Spirit of the Lord will be on him. It says the Spirit of wisdom will be on him. The Spirit of understanding will be on him. The Spirit of counsel will be on him. The Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Do you know that when you walk with God, you have all of Christ living in you and through you? You have all of those qualities of God in you. That's what it means to have Christ in you and to live out your life in the power of Almighty God. People say, you know, they, they'll make reference to the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes they'll mistakenly say the fruits of the Spirit because there are multiple qualities there, like love and joy and peace and grace. Those are not your, and people say, well, I've got a little bit of love and no patience, and i got this, and they'll kind of go through a, a little lottery test of what they have. 
It's not talking about you. It's talking about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has all of those qualities, and when you have Christ in you, you're living out all of those qualities. You see, if you don't have patience, you know what that means? You're not walking in the Spirit. Oh. Ah. You mean I don't have love? Not filled with the Spirit. We need to call it the way it is. I'm either in the Spirit or I'm out of the Spirit. I'm in the flesh or I'm in the Spirit. You see, that makes everything a lot clearer. I'm a re- that person over there, they're a really good Christian. That person over there, they're a good Christian. Person over there, they're not so good. We got like 40 classifications, and God only has really two for Christians. You either walk in the Spirit, fill the Spirit, or you're not. You're either living for God, not living for God. And then all of mankind, he classifies in two groups too, saints and ain'ts. <laughs> Everything is really simple with God. We make it all complicated. What is a really good Christian? You know, you say, well, if I say, write down what a really good Christian is, and you ask, okay, then what would be a good Christian? Oh, they only do seven of the ten things. An average Christian, oh, they only do five. Why do we do that? Because we want to be justified by works and not by faith. We want somehow to make ourselves feel better for not walking in the spirit of Almighty God. Did you ever think that God made you his temple so he could fill you, not so he could abandon you? That God wanted to fill you with his spirit so you could be the living temple of the living God, the explanation of God on earth. Where does God live? He lives in you. He lives in you and everywhere you move, you are the church of the living God and you are exhibiting the power of God in your very life. Be filled with the spirit of God. You see, when God begins to work in this way, we understand that the past isn't important. Anybody ever change their past? You worry about it. You worry about that which you cannot change. Why not worry about that which you can? The present. I can control the present and I can control the future, but I cannot control my past. All I have is right now. And if I begin to focus in on the God of the present, that's what he told Moses. You know, he, he said, Moses, he pulled up there to the, to the, the burning bush and, and, and he saw the bush was burning and all of a sudden he hears a voice coming out of the bush, which, you know, will shock anyone. And he asked him, what is your name? He said, I am. That's a funny name, God. You need a new name. I am? I am. I am everything you will ever need, Moses. He also made it present tense. He didn't say I was. He didn't say I will be. He said I am. Every moment of your life, God is the I am. When you begin to live in the present of the I am, here's what you find. You'll find divine appointments become a part of your life. God will bring people into your life, and you'll say, how did that happen? That was a divine appointment. You'll begin to see that the spheres of opportunity that you travel in will increase over and over and over again. When you walk in the present, you'll understand something about spiritual authority. That is, you can understand what it says when, it says, when you, Scripture tells you, you can say to the devil, flee, and he will flee from you. Because you understand spiritual authority. You are a child of the living God. You are not, as some say, just an old sinner saved by grace. You are a king and a priest of the living God. You are a holy heritage unto him. The Bible says you're a royal diadem in the hand of our God, and he moves it everywhere he will. Imagine if you had in your hand a four or five carat diamond. 
you held it like this and you'd move it just to see every facet that was cut into that diamond and see the glitter that would come as the light exploded in it. And Jesus is the light and you are the diamond. And every day he's cutting a new facet in your life that you might reflect the glory of the living God. That is the heritage that's given for the children of God. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. Come to the altar of God. It is the cross. It's God's altar. It was portrayed in the Old Testament in the bronze altar, the brazen altar. It is today in the cross. Come to the altar of God. It is also the throne of God. Death, burial, resurrection. All points back to what Christ did at the cross. And remember this, that God has reserved a miracle just for you. It's a U-shaped miracle. Not the one he has for me, it's the one he has for you. And for you and for every person here, whether you're sitting in this theater, whether you're sitting in Theater 7, Theater 1, whether you're in Anaheim Hills, whether you're in Abu Dhabi, or whether you're in Big Bear, God has a miracle just for you. Why not take advantage of it? Why not lay claim to it by faith and say, God, I want that in my life today, right now. It is by faith I take, grab, I take claim of that which you have, and I grab it and I make it my own. And I hold it, God. I hold on to you and all that you have promised for me in your word that I might be what you desire me to be before God. I know some of you need a miracle. Some of you want a miracle. Some of you are experiencing miracles. But I want every one of us, wherever we are in this journey, to say, God, right now, I just hold my hands before you and I say, fill them, God. Fill them. Fill them. Let's stand together and pray. <clears throat> Father, we, with hands outstretched before you, desire for you to fill us, God, for us to be spiritually minded, spiritually led, spiritually driven by the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, that our sins might be cleansed, that, Father, we might set aside the lies of the enemy that tries to convince us that we really have little value or little worth before man or before God. It is simply not true. That right now, Father, in this moment, that each one of us would say, Jesus, I receive that which you have for me. I embrace your love. I embrace your grace. I embrace the miracles and the power of God. Fill me, Spirit of God, even now as I pray. Push out of my life everything that doesn't fit, that doesn't work, that's not of you, and resurrect a new man, a new woman for the glory of God.